the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We're always so glad when you decide to join us here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Let me introduce the key people here. Pete Paquette uh, is the engineer, a good one. Andrew Hurdliska produces this show. And I want to introduce you to Tracy Mitchell. She's in Dallas, Texas, founder of the Thrive Conference in Dallas. Her book is out, Fearless. Wildly optimistic in a worry-filled world. Tracy, uh, nice to have you join me here in Orlando. Welcome. How you doing? Wonderful. Doing great today, sitting here in Dallas. And couldn't think of anything I'd rather be doing than chatting about being fearless with you. Uh, why did you write the book, Tracy? Oh, wow. Hi, it's, it's odd. I just come out with a book, Becoming Brave, and so to do a follow-up with Fearless, you know, this recurring theme within our culture uh, of people shrinking back, of morphing their dreams, of, of uh, living in a way that is, that is mediocre at best. I just really felt impressed that, you know, we do. We have to learn to be wildly optimistic in a world that is saturated and filled not only with chaos, that is conditioning us to live from the position of worry and anxiety. Uh, Tracy, uh, you say uh, that God wants us to take heart and trust him, to follow him in all that he has for us. Uh, Can you expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think in our culture, we've been conditioned to have this meism ideology um, that everything is, what do I think? What do I want? What do I need? What's good for me? What should I do today? What it, from the small things? What do I need to eat? And, you know, what the little things to big. It's all this me-centric ideology, and um, it's it's completely opposed to the biblical view that everything that we should do should be, how can I please God today? How can I align my values with my Creator? What does God need me to do today? Who do I need to touch today? And and so it's the inversion of being me-centric, and it's really being spirit-led and um, making sure that what we do with the time that we've been given honors God throughout the day. And so it's really the inversion of what the world, again, is trying to convince us to do and from the posture the world is trying to convince us to live. Tracy, I want you to expand <clears throat> on three things for us. Let, let me start with number one. God may allow us to be in sticky situations 
not because he's against us, but because he uses them to add credibility to our calling. I want you to expand on that, please. Yeah, that's always a good one to me. I know that when we're stuck in chaos, which um, for most of us happens more often than we would we would like to own up to, but it's in the middle of that chaos that, that we have to discern what are we going to do with the chaos? I mean, that's the million-dollar question. How do we handle chaos? Um, is it something that we just grudge through? Is it something that we um, just try to get beyond? Or do we see the value of chaos? You know, what is God showing me in the center of this? How can I come out stronger or better? Or how can I come out more enlightened? What is what is the aha takeaway value um, from chaos? Um, for instance, years ago, I'd written a book on, um, it's entitled Downside Up, Embracing Rejection as a Golden Opportunity. And um, I had spent 30 years in the backwash of rejection until I had my big aha moment when I realized that rejection wasn't designed to work against me. It was designed to work for me. That the pit of what people were calling rejection was really a lens to where I could see who qualifies for my future. See, most people look at rejection from the lens of, oh, you know, self-pity, self-loathing. They left me. The door closed on me. The opportunity was shut when it's completely the inversion of that. No, rejection tells me who's not qualified for my future. I mean, if a person can leave me in this season, why would I be foolish enough to drag them into my future? And so, again, just modeling um, how we look at chaos. How do we turn chaos into something that's um, not setting us back, but becomes advantageous, and that begins within the mind, and that's something that, that fearless really works on is conditioning the mind to see that chaos doesn't have to be negative. Now, here's a second concept I want you to talk about. God's purpose for our lives is exceedingly greater than our momentary rub with affliction. Yeah, say that one more time. Uh, this this is uh, a, another key point in your book. God's mm-hmm. God's purpose for our lives is exceedingly greater than our momentary rub with affliction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think again, looking outside of the lens, pulling back instead of having this microscopic view of what's going on, that we have to pull back. And look at the larger picture. And I think that really plays into our, you know, how we see things, the context, our vision. I remember a few months ago, I had trouble with my vision. And so I went um, to a new optometrist and he put those ugly, hideous four opters in front of my eyes. And all of a sudden he goes, oh, I see you're Irish. (laughs) And that kind of caught me off guard. And I pushed out of the chair and I had to consider whether this doctor was was a doctor or stalker. And I asked him, I said, how in the world did you know that after that information isn't on my chart? And he said something so powerful. He said, I can tell your heredity by the shape of your iris because your history is responsible for shaping your vision. And I thought, man, what a one-liner that our history so often is responsible for how we see things, how we've been conditioned to see um, things like rejection and chaos and the momentary, as you said, rub with affliction. And 
how do we pull away from that and align our vision to see those things again in a way that is useful, a way that could be advantageous, and more importantly, um, push back and see how God truly sees the context of what we're going through. Now, <clears throat> here is a third concept for you. Uh, my guest is Tracy Mitchell. She's in Dallas. Uh, we're talking about her book, Fearless. Sometimes God will delay answering prayer to give us a greater miracle. Tell us more. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm sure you, I know countless times in my own life have been wasted to, to see a larger picture of the bigger miracle. Scripture is chock full of each of those. And, um, you know, we could be here all day discussing the specific ones, but we have to learn again to see it's all about our perception that what in the moment can seem just like that, that complete pause, if not dead stop, that God has something much bigger on the horizon. I think of Elijah or Joseph. Let's just talk about Joseph that, you know, it took him many pitfalls, many hurdles, being in prison, being rejected by his family, all of the things that he went through only to get to the place to see that all of those, what seemingly like were setbacks or failures were conditioning his mind, his will and his spirit to actually be second in command and lead a nation. And so, again, when we stop every day, and prayerfully that's in our quiet time or in those moments that we pray, we have to be intentional, asking the Lord, I know this is hard. I know this is a difficult situation or scenario that we're walking out, but could you please show me the larger picture? And you know what? God is faithful to do it. He gave Joseph a dream before any of the negative things occurred in his life. And he allowed Joseph to anchor his faith to an ongoing dream, even though he didn't see the manifestation of that dream for decades to come. My guest is Tracy Mitchell. Tracy, I'm fascinated uh, with your life and uh, some of the things you've done it, you, you gotten into. So I, I'm going to uh, I'm going to ask you first of all uh, your experience skydiving. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we actually did indoor skydiving on this on this particular job, which was unique. We were filming our um, a podcast, uh, a television show, live from DFW, and one of the things that that we decided to do was go skydiving, and it was it was such a big thing for me because um, as much as I would like to deny it, there's a part of me that loves to be in charge, <laughs> that loves that feeling of okay, I'm at least in control of gravity, you know. And but our team kept pushing it, you know. No, you're going to skydive. You're going to skydive. And I kept pushing my way to the back of the line. I wanted to see how others fared with just taking that ethereal leap into thin air. And and I learned a lot in that process about letting go, about trust, about how much control that I really do exert in every day, and um, found such great spiritual application and actual pleasure and joy. And just letting go, knowing something that something I could not see, such as gravity, would have me. Knowing that if I if I dove into something that I, I couldn't see or had never experienced before, that that thing would hold me up. And so we talk about that in the book, and it's just a real practical example of how we break free from that spirit of fear and how we learn to trust on a new level. Now, uh, tell us about. 
this other exciting part of your life, dog sledding. Yeah, dog sledding is one of my favorite things. We went and um, did dog step on the Great Divide in Banff, Canada, and I loved it. Uh, and I, I learned a lot from these dogs and the musher. Um, I tell a story about how we settled into the basket, and one of the, lo- the little dogs was, was running crooked, and she looked wounded, and and how truthfully this little dog was designed to be a lead dog, but because she was still too young, she wasn't conditioned to lead yet. And because um, she felt ineffective, she would actually pull against the gang line. And she was working herself into a frenzy, not understanding um, and not seeing her value and her worth. That if she would learn to work every position, um, as small as that might seem at the time, that she would eventually develop into a lead dog. And so in the book, I parallel that to the spirit of, of imposter syndrome which is a real clinical condition. Um, it hits those who have the highest IQs, those who usually experience great successes, and how that spirit of imposter syndrome, syndrome works against us to make us feel inadequate or less than enough or that we live fraudulent lives in some way. And so, again, we, we attack that imposter syndrome straight on. We deal with it in fearless and um, teach you how to flip that mental mindset around. Tell me about uh, the time when you witnessed a shooting. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I was actually in a church on New Year's Eve, and a .30-06 came through the ceiling right after we had taken communion. This gentleman grabbed his side and assumed that he had been shot. You know, chaos ensued, people scrambled, all of the things that you can imagine, only to discover minutes later, you know, maybe 10 minutes into it, after all the frenzy, that that thirty six had hit a metal button on his shirt and bounced ricocheted into the floor, and that he had only um, experienced slight bruising. And I, I give that analogy because so often, when the enemy of our soul shoots arrows at us, that we have this proclivity to overreact and, and fall on the floor at the slightest you know little thing that shot our way, and how we have to grab ourselves at times, shake ourselves, and see that we're not as wounded as as what we assume that we are, you know, and finding courage of of how to, when we're shot at, how do we defend ourselves? How do we not fall apart? I know just yesterday I had numerous opportunities um, to fall out of peace and learning how to, you know, when things are shot our way, we don't immediately fall into chaos. But we learn to hold on. We learn to anchor our lives to faith and hope. My guest in Dallas, her name, Tracy Mitchell. The book, Fearless, Wildly Optimistic in a Worry-Filled World. Uh, We have another segment with Tracy. And when we come back, uh, we're going to have her talk to us about becoming fearless. Uh, I want her to talk about uh, moving forward in your faith. I want her to talk to us about living beyond the borders of doubt, fear, and failure. Uh, The book is called Fearless, Wildly Optimistic in a Worry-Filled World. Speaking of books, uh, my latest book is out. It's called Who Coached the Coaches? I asked hundreds of coaches, Uh, One question, who was the key person 
in you becoming a coach? And what did you take from that person? And then uh, the book is exactly what these coaches said, uh, word for word. Uh, so I think uh, I think you'll find some interesting insights to read about. And you'll, you'll have heard of many of those coaches. Uh, who coached the coaches? More with Tracy Mitchell right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Tracy Mitchell is my guest. Her book, Fearless. And Tracy, I want you to offer insights to us. I want you to offer hope. I want you to offer encouragement as all of us seek to become fearless. Sure, absolutely. You know, I don't think most people wake up and just, oh, you know, today I want to be brave. (laughs) You know, or today I feel like being fearless. I think most of the time people develop, they, they learn how to become brave because they're you know, put into situations where they're given no no choice, no alternative but to be fearless, but to be brave. And and so, uh, you know, that, that image of, oh, let's put on our, our Supergirl cape today or Superman cape or shirt or whatever it is, no one wakes up that way, right? We have to be intentional. And it's often, again, in the crux of being, of being placed um, or cornered, so to speak, into situations that are difficult. And it's learning to be fearless one day at a time. I don't think anyone just, you know, it's just one book or it's, it's just one podcast. Yes, they're additives. Yes, they're stepping stones. Yes, there are ways that will infuse courage and ways, but it's not all in a day. And so I think learning to layer that, applauding that maybe today I did something um, that was less fearful than yesterday before. Or today I did something, one small thing that brought me closer to courage than the day before. It, it's incremental successes. And I think our culture has done us a disservice by not applauding the day-to-day steps that actually move us forward. And again, our book Fearless is really great about doing that. It's a layering. It's a becoming, if you will. It's systematically stripping off the weights of fear of learning how not to hide in shame, how not to hide beneath um, failures, but literally turning those things around and using them um, as traction for creating this audacious, courageous life. Now, Tracy, I want you to dive into another topic. Uh, Tell us how to move forward in our faith. How, How do we live beyond the borders of doubt, fear, and failure? Yeah, I mean, the, the place that I begin, you know, I can't dismiss this. I can't, you know, give an ethereal example without saying that the first place to, for me that that starts is my daily prayer and my, my daily private time with the Lord. Um, it is there, again, where I arise and see things from, from His perspective. And once I can see it from how He sees it, how He sees the situation, how He sees my life, how He sees whatever it is that I might be facing— once I can, once I can see that aerial perspective, you know, there's a scripture that I cling to. I think it's in 
um, Revelation 4 and verse 1, where he challenges us, God does. He said, arise. He was talking to John just as he talks to our generation. And he said, come up here and I will show you what is next. And that's a scripture that I hang on to every single day where God says, literally, come up here and I will show you what is next. Because as long as I can see what is in front of me, not what's behind me, not what I'm going through today, but what God has in front of me, then I, then I'll, all of a sudden that courage rises within me. Because if God has put it in my future, then he'll give me the strength to carry it out and succeed in my future. Fascinating. Fascinating. By the way, uh, Tracy, I'm, I'm interested in one other uh, experience, visiting the ruins of Pompeii. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, I didn't actually stand in the ruins of Pompeii, but I wrote about it um, in our book. And I think it was a virtual experience that we had. And um, Again, to stand in the ruins, and I'll, I'll walk through how that whole entire culture um, was was flipped around and changed and, and numerous typologies about culture within Fearless. And I think they're, they're we modernize them, they're relevant. Um, I think it's. I don't think that we can understand the, the fullness of our culture without digging back to past cultures and seeing how they modeled courage or how the inundation of fear demolished their culture. And there's so much to be said about culture. That's the buzz line. That's the tag word um, for the era that we're living in now is the effects of culture. And so in Fearless, we deal with that, the problems of fear, the problems of shame, of doubt, all of the, the negative context, but how that is shaping and molding our culture and what we can do to reverse the tides within our culture. Tracy, I want you to tell us um, uh, this interesting little footnote, the the Thrive Conference in Dallas. What's, what's that mean? What's that about? Yeah, we have a biannual um, conference that we host. I think um, we had it last, right before the pandemic. Um, We're getting ready to host again. With the Thrive Conference, we had about five or 600 leaders who gathered at the Gaylord Texan for a three-day experience to where we lead, train, develop um, leaders, and they have a time and opportunity to connect, to synergize, um, and just to do life together. And so it's been an amazing um, group that has gathered and sees the value in leaders pulling from other leaders. Tracy, uh, the subtitle of your book includes these two words, wildly optimistic. Uh, how, do, how do we live wildly optimistic? <laughs> yeah, I love that verb. I love wildly. I mean, that's just so self-descriptive. Wildly means out of the box. It means um, you know, to be ferocious. I, I use the analogy in the book of the Maasai um, boys who have to kill a lion in order to move into manhood. <laughs> I just think that's amazing. They can't even take a wife before they kill a lion. I don't know that that approach would work in our culture, uh, but the Maasai don't have a casual approach to courage. They believe that brave living truly is the embodiment of adulthood and that courage has grown within the soul and then released into situations. And so I drew from that and that, you know, buzzword, wildly optimistic, that tagline, that phrase. And, um, you know, optimism is underrated to me. I think if you can find an individual in our culture 
who is wildly optimistic. They have taken years, if not decades, to develop a mental mindset that says, despite what culture is saying, I have conditioned my mind, I have conditioned my spirit to live in a way that goes cross-grain to what culture is trying to put on me. Uh, Tracy, what do you want people to take from your book? What do you want people to take from our chat here? You know, I want them to face their fears but not get stuck in them. You know, I think there's something you, you cannot conquer what you do not face. And I think many people are running from their problems, and so they're stuck in their problems. And, again, uh, we all face giants in some way, some in the form of fear, some in the form of anxiety. In our culture, anxiety is chronic levels. And so um, this book really empowers them to face their fears, face their giants, and then gives them the tools, the resources. Um, the book is, is full of motivational factors, biblical principles, uh, mental mindsets, um, and it helps them rid anxiety and doubt and apprehension. We use great storytelling, contemporary analogies to l- allow them to take ownership of, of being fearless. And um, it's just some of the takeaways for this book. What's next for you, Tracy? What's on your platter? Oh, a million and one things. We lead a group of um, 30 different Cities nationwide, and for media forums, podcasts, new books. We have a new platform um, that's coming out, which is our legacy piece, and um, lots going on. TracyMitchell.com to follow all of those pieces. What was that again? TracyMitchell.com. Tracy Mitchell has been our guest from Dallas, Texas, founder of the Thrive Conference. And uh, her book, go get it. It's called Fearless, Wildly Optimistic in a Worry-Filled World. Folks, we're still trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. You can be a big help. Go up to the website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com. We need to hear from you. need your thoughts. Uh, Do you think this is good for Orlando? Are uh, Are you for this? Would you like to see it happen one day? Uh, get up there and uh, we need to hear from you, OrlandoDreamers.com. Folks, we got more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay with us here. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando, Florida. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Welcome again, folks, to to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Let me introduce our engineer. His name is Pete Paquette. He gets us on the air today. Andrew Herdliska is the producer and I want to introduce to you Craig Ireland. Craig is in touch with us from Brisbane, Australia. And he's the author of By Grace Alone, A Heartfelt Word with Those Seeking Salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. Craig, so nice to catch up with you and welcome to Orlando. Yeah, thank you so very much. It's great to be with you today. Craig, how would you describe Brisbane, Australia to one who's never been there? 
Well, this time of year, we're obviously still in summer because our seasons are reversed from the Northern Hemisphere folk. So uh, quite hot right now. I think we've averaged sort of mid to high 90s most days. Mm. Some days a little bit higher. Um, but uh, we're, we're kind of in the subtropics, so we get a fair bit of humidity. It wouldn't be too dissimilar to, uh, to most of Florida, I, w- I would say. Uh, but look, I, I'm a bit biased. I'm going to say it's beautiful. And uh, all your listeners need to put it on their, their bucket list. <laughs> Tell me about your new book, Craig. Yeah, this book uh, by Grace Alone is actually a revision from uh, the 19th century classic written by Charles Spurgeon. Some of your listeners may already be aware of some of the writings and the work of Charles Spurgeon. He was a, a Baptist preacher in Victorian England. And he wrote a little book in the sort of the mid to late 1800s called All of Grace. And for Charles Spurgeon, who was perhaps one of the more prolific uh, believers, Christians, spokespersons for the gospel, his uh, book, All of Grace, has just been, it's been wonderfully used by God to impact, encourage, to, just to help people understand grace. And, uh, and I, I've been a, a real avid student of Charles Spurgeon for a very long time now. But as I've read Charles Spurgeon for many years, I noticed that as, you know, as, as the years wax on, as they do, language becomes a little more trickier to understand. The further we become distant from writers of past decades and even centuries, we find that language has evolved and it becomes a little little difficult to, to read. And so what I've done here in this book, by grace alone, is I've sought to update, revise, hopefully just get people into reading this wonderful resource without any cumbersomeness of language or difficulty of phraseology, really bring it into a, a modern edition that I think will be approachable for, for anyone, regardless of their reading level. Craig, you uh, break your book down into five parts. <clears throat> the first one <clears throat> is called God Declares the Sinner to be Righteous. Uh, what are you telling us there? Yeah, yeah, this is really the, the crux of the good news of Jesus, and that is, as Jesus himself told us, that just like a, a doctor, a physician, isn't going around looking for healthy people to treat, Jesus drew that analogy with himself, and he, he spoke about himself as a Savior, as a Messiah, as God's agent of grace. Jesus says he's not come looking for righteous people. He's not come looking for the, the best and the prim and the proper and the devoutly religious. Jesus is looking for those that are in need of his grace and his help. And of course, what that means is the Bible is very clear. We've all sinned. We've all short, falls, fallen short of God's glorious standard. But the gift of God is eternal life only in Jesus Christ. He is that, he's that physician, that righteous, that righteous preacher, that, that God-man, the Savior. And he's come to seek the sinners that will receive him by faith. And so this phrase, God justifies the ungodly, God justifies the sinner, helps us to get helps us to get our footing in place, that we don't come to God as people who are pre-qualified. We don't come to God as people who have self-renovated and made ourselves ready and prepared ourselves for God. We come just as we are, because the goodness of God is that He's willing, ready, able to receive all and anyone who comes to Him. He's willing to justify so long as we come in and through Jesus Christ. Now, Craig, I want you to move to part two of your book. God is the one who justifies. Uh, Can you explain that to us? 
Yeah, this is this is great. Part of the challenge here, and I, I say great not because I'm trying to be self-congratulatory, but because I really think there's this wonderful ability of Charles Spurgeon, the original author that I've, I've revised, to help us understand that all of our hope, because we are sinners, because we have fallen short of God's standards, all of our hope is in God. And what this means is that we don't justify ourselves. We don't not only do we not justify ourselves because we're actually incapable of doing that, God's not called us to go to a pastor or a priest or a religious counselor or, or some kind of imam or prophet or, or anything like that at all. God has welcomed us to Him personally because He alone is the one that has the ability and the capacity and the desire to justify us. And part of that is because our sin, that is to say the very thing that brings us into ruin, spiritual and and ruin of our life, our sin is committed ultimately against God. And so God has personally and freely forgiven anyone who, as I said a moment ago, anyone who comes to him on the basis in and through Christ. So we've learned that God declares the sinner to be righteous, and then God is the one who justifies. Now, Craig, part three, the just and the justifier uh, what does that mean? Yeah, and part of the challenge here is that the, the question will naturally arise for some people as they've tracked along with our discussion today, and hopefully they pick up the book and read it. The question will arise, well, how can God declare a sinner like, like me, like, like us all? How can God declare us to be righteous when we're actually not righteous? We, we already know that we've fallen short and, and that we've failed. And so how can God declare us righteous? And then the second part, perhaps the, the core of the question is, how can God remain just? Because as we think about this, as we imagine this in a human setting, maybe a, a court of law where the criminal is brought in and uh, his charges that are brought against him have all been very clearly demonstrated and evidence has been shown to be valid. This man is guilty and then he even confesses. And the judge says, well, you are guilty of these heinous crimes against society and and your victims are many, but I'm just going to declare you to be innocent. We would say that that judge is not good, not just, he's not righteous. We would say that judge is guilty and corrupt and criminal even, and and that judge needs to be defrocked and and, and pulled away from the bench because he's not a, a righteous judge. So the question then in the gospel is, as we've already stated earlier on, God calls sinners, like every one of us, to come to him freely in Jesus to be saved, but how does God retain his righteous standing? God, how does God remain perfect and elevate his perfection while at the same time calling the worst of spiritual criminals, sinful people like all of us are, how does he do that? And the answer, of course, is in the gospel that God provides in Jesus, the remedy that is required in order for him to remain just and still freely justify all and any who come to him through Christ. Now, I want you to get to this topic for us. Number four, concerning deliverance from sinning, uh, we must get rid of our sin, but how? Yeah, yeah, this is, this is right, and this, this speaks to the fact that God is willing, ready, able to freely forgive all of us of our sins, but God is so good. God is so gracious, he doesn't want us to stay in the corrupting effects of our sin, because sin has 
sin has consequences, of course. Sin, sin's consequences are not just that we are estranged from God. Sin's consequences are not just spiritual death, but even day to day, our lives are being corrupted by the, the nature of sin. And so the power of God in our life, in the gospel, that's in Jesus, is not just to declare us righteous and to clear the record of our debt before God and to save us, but to, to, to endure us with power from on high so that we may victoriously, and yet in an ongoing fashion, war against sin. And as we grow in our holiness and in our own righteousness, not that any of that saves us, I want to be very clear about that, that is the, the result of salvation, it's not the cause of our salvation, but as we grow in righteousness, we realize the power that God has given us to be victorious over our sin is an indwelling power by His Holy Spirit, and He assists us throughout our life to continually rid ourselves of contaminating influences and, and the corrupting effects of sin. It's, it's a wonderful gospel, because in the gospel of Jesus, God provides the remedy for everything that we're suffering from in grace. Craig, I want you. <clears throat> I want you to tell us more about the Holy Spirit, and and where He fits into all this. Yeah, this is so good, and 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 part of the challenge I find with the believers, I, I've been in vocational ministry now, pastoring for over twenty years, is, is I, I get this question semi regularly. People want to know. We we make much of Jesus. Jesus makes much of His Father. He prays to His Father. Jesus is always referencing His Father. But on those occasions, Jesus also talks about the Spirit, the Comforter, the, the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth. And sometimes Christians wonder, where is the, the right emphasis? <clears throat> Excuse me. People wonder, where do we understand the involvement of the Spirit? And the reality is, I've just got a bit of a frog in my throat here, Pat. I'm sorry about that. No problem. <laughs> I'm getting preaching, as you can hear, as I'm doing that, I'm being reminded. I'm, I'm on a phone call here. I have to, have to take my time and just hold, catch my breath. Uh, the involvement of the Spirit, the way I like to sometimes explain this is I like to tell people, if you ever go to a professional uh, athletic event, maybe the Super Bowl, maybe you're fortunate to have tickets to go and watch a great game, maybe an NBA game or something, and you spend your whole time, your, your eyes are fixated on the court or, or the field or whatever the case may be in Australia. It might be a rugby game or something like that, and it's a nighttime game, and there's a closed roof, and it's a wonderful spectacle of human athleticism and, and strategy and all those things. And, and then as you walk out of the stadium, your friend turns to you and says, hey, did you notice the lights? And, and, and you say, what, what do you mean the lights? I mean, I was watching the game. The game was the event. The game was the thing. The game was the reason we spent all this money and parked our car 10 miles away and, and ate really expensive but not great food. Like the, the game is the reason we're here. And your friend says, yeah, but without the lights, you don't see the game. The big floodlights that shine down on the court or, or the field, without them, there's no game, there's no spectacle, there's no event, there's no occasion. And this is really the role of the Holy Spirit. He is the illuminator. He draws our eyes to Christ. So when someone says to me, what's the role of the Spirit or what is the function of the Spirit? My answer really is, he is the start, the middle, and the end of the entire ordeal of salvation. He, he draws us. He, he makes the gospel compelling to us. He, he brings us to saving faith. He regenerates. He, he sanctifies us, and he is the down payment, Paul says to the Ephesians. He is the deposit of heaven that leads us to glory. But we often don't spend a lot of time focusing on the Spirit because the Spirit is drawing our attention to Jesus. 
In fact, Jesus told us that's what the Spirit was going to do the entire time. He will, he will draw our eyes and our attention to Christ, and Christ will continually reveal the Father. And so salvation really is an eternal and also perfectly Trinitarian and a perfectly Trinitarian act. It's, it's a wonderful symphony that God, as he writes this story of redemption. My guest <clears throat> from Brisbane, Australia, <clears throat> his name is Craig Ireland. The book is called By Grace Alone. <clears throat> and that's part five of your book, By Grace Through Faith. Behold the pure river of the water of life. Tell us more, Craig. Yeah, this is this really gets to the, the root of the question of salvation itself. What is what is the mechanism that God has ordained, that God has engineered, that helpless sinners like me, like us all, can obtain this wonderful salvation that God has extended to us all? That is, to be declared righteous when we are corrupted and fallen in sin, God's power to save and to draw us into perfect righteousness. What's that mechanism? The Bible is really clear about this in many different places, but Perhaps the most concise and clear would be Ephesians chapter 2, particularly verses 8 to 10, tell us that salvation is by grace through faith. And then Paul goes and reminds the Ephesians, and of course, by extension, he reminds us, it's by grace through faith, lest any of us be found to be boasting. It's not about what's in us, and it's not about what we do, and it's not about what we can achieve or what we can merit in God. Our salvation is on account of God's free grace, God's glorious extension of His benevolence and His love and His mercy that is grace, and that our faith, our, our, our receiving and our trusting in Christ is the means, as I said earlier, it's the mechanism that God has ordained that this wonderful, that this eternal, that this glorious salvation can be experienced and received by anyone, no matter how corrupted or bad or wicked or evil their life is, or no matter how good or religiously pious or at least seemingly clean their life is, we all need a Savior, and our salvation comes by God's grace through our trusting in Him, that is, by grace through faith. Craig Ireland is our guest, the author of By Grace Alone. We've got more after this. Right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, it's AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. My guest from Brisbane, Australia is Craig Ireland, author by Grace Alone. Craig, I'm fascinated with Australia. Can, can, what's the spiritual climate in, in Australia? What's, uh, what's the, the world of Christians like in your nation? Yeah, Australia, I, I would have to say, and I, I do this with some hesitation, but Australia honestly is very secular. Australia would be much similar to those maybe Western European nations like France or Sweden or places like that where you really don't have a very strong or vibrant church. You, you do have strong churches, but I mean, nationally speaking, you don't, you don't get much of a, a strong, united church. Christianity has been in decline here for decade after decade. 
And these days, I mean, I, I grew up in a completely unbelieving home. I, I, I don't remember meeting many Christians as I grew up at all. It wasn't until I was 16 at a state high school that I ran into someone that was willing to identify as a Christian. They shared the gospel with me, and I, I, I trusted in Christ and came to faith. But from memory, that's one of the only believers I ever actually met growing up here. Uh, and I didn't grow up in, you know, out in the outback in the country where I maybe ran into one or two people a week. I, I grew up in a bustling metropolis, and yet still... You see, Christianity here is definitely on the decline, and we're praying that God will revive us and strengthen His church and advance His mission. Are there any uh, outstanding churches? Yeah, there, there certainly are. Yeah, there are, but they, they are few and far between. The city I'm in now, Brisbane City here in Queensland, is a little over 3 million people. But honestly, uh, I, I would say there's, there's a handful of really solid and outstanding churches. I've pastored in the U.S., I've pastored in East Texas, in upstate New York, and normally a city the size of Brisbane, you know, 3 million plus, would have a couple of dozen really strong churches, in the U.S., that is. And yet over here, you, you can only find a very few, and, and that's the reality of the spiritual situation here. We need God to continue to revive us and strengthen churches and plant new churches. That's the real need in Australia. So, Craig, how did you end up preaching in the United States? Yeah, initially my, my family and I moved out quite a number of years ago, and we worked in a church revitalization project in, in East Texas. It was a, a dying Southern Baptist church right there in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And uh, my wife and I got a, got a call, um, and we accepted, and we'd been, a church, we'd been church planting in Australia for over a decade. But we felt really encouraged to go and accept that opportunity to work in church revitalization. And we did that for a number of years, really enjoyed that. And then more recently, we served in upstate New York, in, in Rochester, actually, right on Lake Ontario, and really enjoyed that. But that's a, that's a very different culture, of course. The, many of your listeners will know that the Northeast is very different to the, the Southwest, and particularly East Texas, which is a, a bit of a hotspot for many big churches, and everyone self-identifies as, as Christian. There's a very nominal, almost a cultural Christianity which prevails. And you don't see that in upstate New York, and I found that a little closer to home, to be honest, and maybe even a little refreshing. I found pastoring in the Northeast had a little bit more of an authenticity to it, and, and I really enjoyed my time there. But we're back in Australia now, and we're trusting the Lord to help us see what our next assignment is, and maybe we plant church. We're not too sure, but we're trusting in God. Uh, Craig, what do you want people to take from your book and from our discussion? I think for me, I think the main message I want I want conveyed is that our sin, which so many of us feel the shame, we feel the weight of it, we feel the guilt of it. Many people they won't they won't come to God because they're afraid of God. That they have a sense of God's infinite justice and His holiness and His glory, and all of that's true. God will never ever ever mitigate one of His laws, or God will never soften the edge of His perfect righteousness. But God has provided the way that sinners can come to him, and that way is Jesus. I want people to know that their sin is not disqualifying in their approach to God if they come to God through Christ, because he is the perfect righteousness. He is the perfect mediator. He is the perfect substitute. In his sin-free life, as Jesus is perfectly unique, no one has ever lived a sin-free life, but there is Christ. He achieved that. Then he went to the cross, and he died as a substitute for sinners like me, like us all. And then he rose again in triumph, and he calls us to him and says, don't let your sin stop you from approaching God, because your sin qualifies you if you come to God through Jesus Christ. And I believe that is the, 
that's the core message I would love for these listeners today to take away. My guest is Craig Ireland, and he's in Brisbane, Australia. Uh, uh, I want you to go back uh, to the very beginning of your book, Craig, and you open it with a question. Where are we at? Salvation is by grace alone. Why do so many people that uh, feel that there's there's works involved, that you've got to work your way into uh, favor with mm. God? I think I think that's the natural inclination of the human heart. I think all of us feel in some way, shape, or form, doesn't matter what culture we grew up in or how much sort of Christian influence we've experienced, I think all of us find the message of grace initially off-putting because we want to make it on our own, because we, we don't want to be told that, that we're the bad guy in the story. We're the villain. We are, we are among those that crucified Christ, of course, not actually, not physically, but in our sin, it's our sin that holds him to the cross. It's our sin that brings the wrath of God upon Christ because he must suffer in our place. And I think the message of grace is jarring to the natural man because in the message of grace, he learns that it's not about his effort. It's not about his striving or his achieving or him making amends or making somehow, making it up to God. And, and I think that's why understanding that works play no part in our entrance into grace. Now, as we already talked about in Ephesians 2, works play a substantial part in the fruit of the grace of God in our life, because as Ephesians 2 says in verse 10, it says we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. So, so good works are the fruit of our salvation, never the root of our salvation. But often we get that back to front. We, we reverse that because of the natural inclination of our heart to be to want to be good enough and to want to strive hard enough and to want to make amends with God. And God says, no, no, no. If we're going to come to him and be declared righteous, it'll be on his terms. And God's terms are, of course, Jesus Christ. Uh, we've got we've got just got a couple of minutes left. And, Craig, I'm interested in uh, hearing your approach to studying God's Word, the Bible. Um, any tips for uh, our listeners? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, I've been in vocational ministry for many years now, and this is a question I get regularly, and I think it's a, it's a great question. People need to be more in love with their Bible. That's, that's true for me as well. And I think the best tip I can give people is immerse yourself in the text. Commentaries are great. Lexicons are great. Dictionaries are great. All these things are so good. But what tends to happen sometimes is we tend to use them, and we get drawn away from the text itself. My, I think my, my best advice for people, and, and, and I love commentaries. I'm obviously an author myself. I, I want people to get to the Scripture, to read it, to read it often, and to read copious amounts. The Spirit of God will speak to us when we immerse ourselves in the text of Scripture. There are so many wonderful free resources online. You've got to be a little bit careful and discerning, but there's so much great content out there. But please do not let it draw you away from the text itself. It's only in the text of inspired Scripture, where God authoritatively speaks. And so that would be my, my one key, my one piece of advice for these listeners today. And then give me 60 seconds on advice on, uh, on praying. Yes. Well, if we're, in the, if we're in the Scripture, we're immersed in the text, my advice on praying is to pray the Scripture. Let the Word of God that comes into our heart 
then be the exhaling of our prayer, to pray God's Word back to Him. God loves to hear us pray His Word and to utter His promises back to Him. So be dedicated in prayer, make it a commitment, a discipline, and use the Scripture to fuel the words you speak to God. He loves that, and God loves to hear those prayers. My guest has been Craig Ireland. Let me recommend his book, By Grace Alone, A Heartfelt Word with those seeking salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. And speaking of books, uh, my latest book is out. It's called Who Coached the Coaches? I interviewed uh, hundreds of coaches, asked them one question. Who was the key person in you becoming a coach? And uh, we we ran exactly what they said to us in the book. I think uh, if you love sports or not, I think you'll... Uh, Find some real value in the book. Who coached the coaches? And, of course, Craig Ireland's By Grace Alone. Stay with us. We've got more here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word right here in beautiful Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, folks, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, In that first segment, uh, Tracy Mitchell joined us. We had a wonderful visit with Tracy. And then Craig Ireland from uh, down under Brisbane, Australia, came aboard talking about his book, by grace alone, a heartfelt word with those seeking salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. You can be a big help. Uh, go up to the website, orlandodreamers.com, and just check in with us. Tell us your feelings. Uh, would you like to see uh, Major League Baseball come to Central Florida? You can be a big part of, of it. So uh, that's our final word Uh, We're back next weekend for more. I hope you have a wonderful week ahead. Uh, A reminder, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We'll do it again next weekend right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. God bless, folks. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 